Hi guys, I'm your host, Daniel Harmon, Chief Creative Officer at Harmon Brothers. I have a special guest with me today, our CEO, Benton Crane. Hi everyone, pleasure to be here. We're gonna do a little story time today, a little backstory on Harmon Brothers. Particularly, we're gonna go way back. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know it, but Daniel and I are first cousins. We go all the way back to when we were just little tykes running around at family reunions. In fact, one of my early memories about Daniel at a family reunion we were up in rural Idaho, Burley, Idaho, and we were swimming in, a, in an irrigation canal. And our uncle offered a Dairy Queen blizzard to whoever could do the best backflop into the canal off of a bridge. And I was way too scared to try it. And Daniel walked up there, stepped up on that bridge, and just fell straight backwards, landed flat on his back in the canal. Slap, he hands down, won the blizzard competition, and my respect too. I have no memory of this. <laughs> actually, the pain is still felt to this day. My back, I actually remember this. My back was super red and I never got paid out on that blizzard. <laughs> this was kind of a thing our uncle liked to do a lot was dare stupid teenagers to do really dumb things in exchange for a blizzard that he never paid out on. So that was the, it was, I think it was just good fun for him. I don't know. I don't, I actually don't think he was nefarious. But yeah, he never made good on any of that ice cream. <laughs> so I grew up in, in Utah. Daniel and his brothers grew up in, in Idaho. And my house became one of the hubs of their potato selling empire. Yeah, so we, we learned a lot about sales at a very early age. I come from a family of nine kids. And like any cliched Idaho family, we grew up on a potato farm. And so we figured out that we could make more money by selling potatoes than working a consistent hourly wage job. And ultimately what that meant was we'd go and we'd buy potatoes from my uncle's farm, throw them in a truck that we borrowed from him. This is probably why he never paid us back for the blizzards actually. <laughs> and then we'd transport them down to Utah and go door to door selling potatoes to families. And yeah, that was the business model. So my parents, let us bring loads of these boxes of potatoes and stack them in our garage. And then we would walk around to my poor unsuspecting neighbors and knock on their doors. And with these cute squeaky little voices that we had back then, we would ask them if they would buy our potatoes from our uncle's farm in Idaho. And whenever we would get a yes, we would run home excitedly and load the potatoes up in the little red wagon and go drag them over to my neighbors and deliver the potatoes. Another method was just to drive around to what we felt were the richest neighborhoods, <laughs> uh, park the truck, go door to door, ask them if they ate potatoes. If they didn't, okay, bye. Um, but yeah, we were selling 50 pound boxes. So it had to be a pretty big family. I think we sold them for $20 a box, right? Yeah, $20 a box. And then when we added up our money, we were like, whoa, we're making like way better money than if we would if we were working minimum wage jobs. So that's what we did. We sold potatoes like poor little Idaho and sob story boys. <laughs> and uh, later on, we added to some of our sales experience when we went and served missions for our church. I served a mission in Lima, Peru. I served mine in Lisbon, Portugal. And Jeffrey served in Ireland. Neil served in Mexico. And so this wasn't sales per se. You weren't actually really outselling anything, but um, at the end of the day, you were trying to communicate passionately about a message that you cared about. And so just learned a lot of communication techniques, a lot about how to relate to people. And ultimately we were selling the message of Jesus, not potatoes. 
for Jeffrey, the Irish were already sold on potatoes. So <laughs> <laughs> he didn't need to do that. I, I think we learned a lot of lessons about rejection, too. It was, yeah. it was one of those things where, you know, while we did meet people who related with the message that we were sharing and they accepted that message, there were also plenty of people who weren't interested. And so we got plenty of no's and plenty of doors slammed in our faces. And it kind of taught us how to not give up and how to persist through that and find more and more effective ways. Yeah, and I think ultimately taught us a little bit about the numbers game, right? The more people that you talk to and share the message with, the more likely you are to find somebody that really wanted to learn about it, as well as the type of people that you talked to. That It was important not just how many people you talked to, but that you found the right people in order to share the message with people that were ultimately ready and looking to have more of a relationship with God and with Jesus. And I think to this day, we still say about our videos, we don't need everyone to watch, we just need the right people to watch. And, and I think that's a lesson that ties back to that experience. Later on, we gained even more sales experience when we joined a summer sales program to sell alarm systems for home security, door to door. And this was a much more elaborate sell from when you knocked on the door to when you closed the deal. It was usually, I think, between 30 minutes to 45 minutes to get a deal done. So we learned a lot there about how to build a need for the customer, show them a pain point, and then provide the solution to that pain. And then ultimately, we learned how to overcome objections, how to deal with doubts and concerns about the product. When we were selling potatoes, we never dealt with any doubts or concerns. It was like, does your family eat potatoes? No, we don't like potatoes. Okay, bye. That was the end of the sale and we moved on. In this case, oh, if they had an objection, we would actually try to address it and further the sale. And so we learned a lot about how to communicate complex things in, in a simple way, to make a more complex sale digestible for people that were learning about it for the first time. To take someone from I've never heard of this, I've never heard of you, all the way through the process of, I understand the problem, I understand the solution, you've built the credibility, you've overcome my concerns, and now I'm ready to be a customer. And you take them through that journey in one process, and that's exactly the pattern that we follow to this day in our video advertising. But do you know what one of my favorite memories of that summer is? <laughs> yeah, it's so, probably the same as mine. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we spent the summer in Minneapolis, but we had to drive from Utah to Minneapolis. I don't remember how many hours it is, but we had a caravan of four cars going out there. And we decided that we wanted to get there fast, and so we wanted to drive fast. So to mitigate the risk of tickets, we decided that we would go in caravan style, but we would spread out a little ways. And if one of us got pulled over and got a ticket, then we would split the cost of that ticket between all four cars. And so I remember crossing Montana at 110 miles an hour in our rickety old cars. And Jeff's car in particular, he had this old Jetta that would just suck the gasoline. Like You could almost watch the gauge go down when he was driving that fast. Yeah, there was no governor on it. It was just basically limited by how far you could get the pedal into the floor. <laughs> That's where it tapped out. We were, yeah, we were booking. And we never got a ticket, which is kind of cool. Your favorite memory of that summer is actually different than mine. My favorite memory is when we were all roommates and we had a day where we went out and did sales and usually our selling day would start around noon, right? And we went out and closed deals. Everyone in our apartment got to sell that day, which that's a good day. Any day that you can sell an alarm system, that's a great day. And we also managed to 
finish our deals and run and go catch game seven of a Minnesota Timberwolves game where they beat the Sacramento Kings oh, in like right. the final that's seconds. Right. That was in Kevin Garnett's heyday. Yeah, that was in Kevin Garnett's heyday where he hit like some crucial three-pointers at the end, pushed them over the edge. And then the next day, our manager was praising our whole apartment for our work ethic. For our work ethic. And these, these guys all closed deals and stuff. And we were all just kind of laughing under our breath like, we were totally at a basketball game. <laughs> we maybe could have all done two or three deals that day, but we... Yeah, the, the evening hours are, are the prime time to sell. And, and so we, uh, we had kind of broken the rules to, to skip out on the evening hours and go to the basketball game. I don't regret it at all. <laughs> Nor I. <laughs> no regrets. That was amazing. So... As you can see, sales is kind of in our blood. We actually learned sales not through books, not through college, not through academic learning, as much as just the real process of actually doing sales, interacting with people face-to-face, -face, learning what drives human psychology to want to buy. And then ultimately, we've just taken all those sales principles that have existed you know, for decades or if not longer, for centuries, and have applied them to online video and to social media. And that's kind of what we've gotten really good at here at Harmon Brothers. In 2009, my brother Jeffrey was in a marketing class at BYU, and they were doing a study on a little product called the Aura Brush, and it was a little tongue cleaner to help cure bad breath. And Dr. Bob, the inventor, he had gone to BYU to get some findings on his little device, on how best to sell it because he wasn't having any kind of luck with selling it in retail. And so the class did a study on how likely people would be to buy the ore brush if he sold it online. Their findings were, they came back and said, you know what, only 7% of people say that they would buy a product like this online. And so we recommend, you know, don't, don't try to sell it online. And Jeffrey, my brother, actually raised his hand and said, well, wait a minute, 7% of people, that's still millions of people. Why not try to sell to them? And Dr. Bob really liked what he said and approached him after the class and said, hey, will you market this product for me? And Jeffrey said, sure, I'll give it a shot. And he paid Jeffrey with a motorcycle. I think he was just kind of sick of carpooling Jeffrey around back and forth to his house to work on the project because Jeffrey was a poor college student with no car. And so he's like, here, I'm gonna pay you with a motorbike <laughs> so I don't have to do this anymore. And ultimately, my brother Neil ended up joining the project in building out the website and the technical side of things. And they were able to get to a point where they could sell the Aura Brush. Then Jeffrey ran across this video on YouTube that was a video on how to tell if you have bad breath. And it was a woman demonstrating how you can scrape your tongue with a spoon and then smell it and see if you have bad breath. And he's like, okay, that could be cool. And he threw it actually on the landing page of the Aura Brush website. And it increased conversion rates by over 30%. And then he said, okay, what if we actually did a video like this, but instead actually branded it as Aura Brush and then explained the product as well. And so he um, wrote up a script and then he had roommates at the time that he decided to get involved. One was um, Devin Graham, also known on YouTube and Facebook as Devin Supertramp. And he was a film guy. And Jeffrey convinced him to help shoot the ad. And then he had another roommate, Joel Ackerman, who was a really uh, talented creative and writer um, that helped him punch up the script, finish it off, and, and really make it funny, add the humor. And then Jeffrey and Devin directed it. And Jeffrey had another friend, Austin Craig, who always went on political rants and got really passionate. And Jeffrey was like, hey, what if you can channel that same kind of rage 
<laughs> for politics into a sale for Aura brush. Would, would you be down for that? It's like, sure. You know, how much would I have to pay for that? I don't know, 100 bucks? Was, I don't know what it was. It was something really cheap like that. But then Austin became the man in front of the camera, otherwise known now as the Aura brush guy. And they made this cheap little video. It cost them about 500 bucks. And then they put that up on the landing page. And then the sales really started to take off. I was actually out in Chicago at the time working um, at an ad agency and doing moonlighting and helping with the branding on the website and doing design work and stuff for Aura Brush. But Neil and Jeffrey were the ones that really kind of got it off the ground and the sales started to really pick up. But the turning point for Aura Brush was when YouTube, who had just been acquired by Google, announced that they were going to be doing advertising on their site. And Jeffrey was like, oh, we've got to get on that early and started buying ads for Aura Brush on YouTube. And this was back when the views were like less than a penny a piece. And in fact, he was buying up so much ad inventory that people started to complain that they were seeing the Aura Brush ad too much because it was literally buying up, I think, over half the inventory <laughs> for ads on YouTube because no one was experimenting with this thing except for Jeffrey. And it just became a really effective sales tool for Aura Brush. And then from there, that success propelled into retail where they ended up in stores like Walgreens and CVS and Walmart. So, so while, while all that was happening with Aura Brush, I was back in Washington, D.C. I, I was working as an intelligence analyst back there in the, in the intelligence community, but I still kept in touch with Daniel and Jeff during that time. And after Jeff had made that initial video, he sent me a copy of it just to get my feedback on it. And looking back now, I'm embarrassed to, to say, but my advice to him was the wrong advice, and it was kind of what everyone around him was saying, hey, this ad is too long, it's too long, it's not gonna work, you have to have a 30 second ad or else no one's going to pay attention. I got that straight wrong. And I realized how wrong I got it when living in Washington, D.C., I'm watching YouTube videos, and all of a sudden Jeff's ad starts popping up in my feed, and then my coworkers start talking about this ad. I'm on the other side of the country, and all of my coworkers are talking about this new crazy ad, this how to tell if your breath stinks. And that's when I realized, holy smokes, Jeff's onto something special here. Yeah, it was the same thing for me. Because I was doing design work and other creative writing projects and things like that for Aura Brush, he actually sent the video to me as well to get my advice where I was working at an ad agency out in Chicago. And the same thing, I was like, oh, it's two minutes long, that's, it's too long. And Jeffrey's like, well, did you get bored? And I said, well, no. He's like, okay, so it's probably okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. And anyway, yeah, the video was wildly successful. It's crazy to watch it go into the hundreds of thousands of views. And then the millions of views are like, wow, this thing is really taking off. All because Jeffrey knew that when they spent a dollar in ads, they got two or three dollars back in revenue. And so it was a sustainable money-making machine for Aurabrush. Later, I ended up joining Aurabrush um, in 2010 as an art director. And we made over 100 videos there together during our time at Aura Brush. In fact, while we were creating all that content for Aura Brush, there was a point where we became the third most viewed brand on YouTube. We were only surpassed by Pepsi and Old Spice. And then in 2013, we actually, Jeffrey, Neil, and I all left Aura Brush to do the Poopery campaign. And Jeffrey gave you a call, right? Yeah, yeah, quick, quick story there. So. I'm in Washington, D.C. Jeff and I still, you know, chat once every couple of months or whatever to catch up. We're on the phone and he tells me, hey, there's this lady in Dallas who just keeps emailing me and she keeps sending me LinkedIn messages. And I ignored her for a few months, but I finally talked to her and it's actually really interesting. 
and he starts explaining this poop spray to me. And I'm going, poop spray? Like, what in the world? And he's like, this stuff actually works. She sent me a couple bottles of it, and I tried it out. It actually works. I think we can sell this stuff. And looking back, that phone call is probably one of the most pivotal conversations of, of my career, if not one of the most pivotal conversations of my life, because I had you know, that, that little inner voice inside of you. That little inner voice just said as clear as day, jump on this opportunity, go for it. And I told Jeff right on the phone call, let's do it. I said, I'll move my family back to Utah. I'll join you, we'll make this happen. I remember Jeff was kind of like, what? <laughs> Seriously, let, let, let's do this. And, and so he went back and got serious about doing a contract for Poopery, won the contract. And so Jeff and Neil and Daniel all left Aura Brush. I left Deloitte in Washington, DC, and we all joined up back here in Utah to do the, the Poopery campaign. Yeah, then it was a question, could we do it all over again, right? Could we create a video that sells and brands in the same way the Aura Brush did and do it successfully for Poopery? And it was a resounding yes. I mean, in our testing of the video, we didn't even plan to go out the door publicly with the campaign until later, but then Huffington Post found one of the ads that was being tested. We right. were trying to do kind of this stealth pre-launch testing where we have several variations of the ad out there running unlisted, but it didn't, you know, it was within a day or two that Huffington Post picked that up. Yeah, they picked it up and then it was like, okay, I guess this is the one we're going live with. It's so funny because even in the testing as we tested through titles and things like that, the title we landed on, Girls Don't Poop, actually didn't come from us. It wasn't one of our ideas. It came from commenters on YouTube. They were like, no way, this isn't real. Girls Don't Poop. That's where, that's where it came from. So and we tested uh, it, of course. We tested it and it turned out to be very effective. And so it blew Poopery way up beyond their wildest dreams. They could not keep up with uh, the inventory at all. I mean, they had stated to us, oh, we're set up to handle whatever kind of traffic and stuff. And it turns out, no, there, <laughs> there was not nearly enough bottles of Poopery in this world <laughs> uh, to keep up with what that video did. It, it went viral all over YouTube, it was getting shared all, obviously all over Facebook. Yeah, it was just a, a massive success. And it further cemented and proved the model that had kind of been worked out somewhat at Aura Brush. And the last thing in our minds at that point was starting an agency, except for you yeah. maybe. <laughs> in, in fact, when Poopery went to cut the check, uh, she asked Jeff and Neil, who should I write this to? And Jeff and Neil kind of looked at each other. This was like at 11 o'clock at night or something. It was, it was really late and they looked at each other and were like, I don't know. And Jeff goes, let's just call it Harmon Brothers. We'll change it later. <laughs> yeah. And so Neil jumped online and registered an, an LLC called Harmon Brothers LLC. They wrote the check. And next thing we know, I, I think it was Adweek, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Adweek picked it up. And then they cited creative agency Harmon Brothers. And we all looked at each other like, are we an agency? <laughs> we're like, I guess we're an agency. Uh, I mean, literally, it wasn't really on our minds in that way as much as we were just trying to make a great campaign for Poopery. Because ultimately, the, the intent at the time was actually to have a partnership where we would become part of Poopery in the same way we were part of Aura Brush. And it turned out that business-wise that that didn't work out. And it had already run all over the press that we were Harmon Brothers and the name stuck. And there wasn't much of a way around it at that point. So here we are, Harmon Brothers, branding experts who didn't even decide our own name. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, so uh, from there, I guess things really took off once, you know, Squatty Potty came around, uh, Bobby. 
one of the founders of Squatty Potty had seen our poopery ad and got really mad because he's like, that should have been my ad, is what he said. And then he came to us and really wanted us to do an ad for him. We came up with a crazy concept that was too crazy for them, which was a unicorn pooping ice cream. And the other founders didn't like it. And also one of his big time investors didn't like it. And so they decided to pass, but then they still weren't seeing the sales results that they wanted in going the other route that they did for marketing. And so they came back to us and asked to do the campaign. And then from there, the rest is, is kind of history. One hit led to another. Little did we know though, when they came back, Bobby came back without telling any of his investors or board or founders and he gave the green light for us to do the Pooping Unicorn campaign. And we had no idea that he was doing that so stealthily until three days before launch. He pulled Jeff aside and he said, you guys have to knock this out of the park because if you don't, I'm screwed. (laughs) (laughs) So then all of us were nervous about the launch, but it you know, it launched and it made a genius out of Bobby because he had the foresight to take that risk. Stick to his guns. And and it paid off in a big way. Yeah, he was very visionary in embedding on a concept that big and ultimately trusting us. And that's so much of what we look for in like clients and partners is that kind of trust of like, okay, you guys do what you do well. I can't do what you do, so I'm gonna trust you to do it. And that's what Bobby did and it paid off huge. But Squatty Potty led to Purple, which led to Fiberfit. Chatbooks. Which led to Chatbooks. Camp Chef, Camp so Chef, so obviously forth. all the VidAngel videos mixed in there, so on and so forth. So that's kind of the Harmon Brothers backstory in a nutshell, in a way too long of nutshell, <laughs> including stories about blizzards and backflopping and going 110 miles an hour through Montana. So thanks for joining us. Join us next week and the week after. We're going to be on all sorts of platforms, hopefully on whatever you guys listen on. And uh, yeah, going to be doing our best to drop bits of wisdom and principles that you can apply to your business, to your advertising, your creativity, and help you go out there and tell your story better. You'll hear us next week. Looking forward to it.